Okay, welcome to Power Pivots, the podcast where we discuss fundamental career shifts and changes that have made all the difference. I'm your host, I go by Hatu, and today we're joined by... Akash. Akash. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well, Hatu. It's been a really long time. Yeah. Uh, but thank you so much for inviting me on the pod. Of course, of course. And thank you so much for making time. I'm really excited to talk to you. Obviously, there are a lot of shifts and changes that have happened since the last time that we spoke, all for the better. So I'm really excited to hear more about your journey. And especially from the standpoint as someone who talks to engineers day in and day out, it's going to be really amazing to hear more from you. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. So I like to jump into it straight down to it. Folks know how we do this. We talk about PowerPoints. PowerPoints are three words or phrases that describe you. It's always interesting to see how this goes. So want to hear from you, Akash, what would you say are your PowerPoints? PowerPoints? Okay. I would say the first that comes to mind is resilient. As a founder and even outside of being a founder, every week that goes by, you have you know the lowest of lows and the highest of highs. And as somebody running a fast growing business, one of the best things that you can do as a leader, in my opinion, is being very resilient, staying calm when you need to be and not letting any one thing disrupt the flow that you're on. So I'd say resilient is the first PowerPoint of mine. The second is dynamic. I'm a software engineer and computer scientist by trade, but I've had to learn multiple different areas of running companies that are important, like sales and marketing and recruiting. And so I think I've really grown to be a pretty dynamic person, both in and out of the workplace. And then the last is creative. You know, I've always been in enterprise software and enterprise software is one of those areas where there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of different competition and sometimes taking stodgy problems, but bringing a creative approach is something that really drives disruption. And that's something I appreciate about myself. Okay. Resilient, dynamic, creative. Very good. I'm excited to hear how those tie into your story. Generally, it ends up being something where you're able to pull that string of like, ah, I see why that was used as a PowerPoint. To hear more about that, I wanted to hear about your hindsight story. So they always say that the story is told in hindsight and hindsight is 2020. So from your perspective, Akash, if you're looking back, tell me a little bit about your story. My story is threw up around building things within the computer world, whether it was in the earliest days of middle school, building computers and laptops to play games on or build websites on to building websites and apps. Being very fascinated by computers was always something that was a big part of my childhood. That's the first thing. The second thing was I grew up in a family where my parents tried to inspire me to become a doctor at a certain point in my upbringing. And while I did quickly realize that being a doctor wasn't for me, I realized that healthcare was the area that I was very passionate about. And so I've always tried to center my career around healthcare. And then the third thing that has always been a pattern throughout multiple stages of both my upbringing, but college and beyond has been entrepreneurship or building businesses. As a kid of two immigrant parents that moved here from India in the late 70s to start a new life and ended up building businesses back home where I grew up in, in Maryland. It was always instilled in me to figure out how to start something on my own. As I think every single journey that I've gone through, and again, this is hindsight for your question, every single journey that I've gone through, I think has shaped me to think about how to find the intersection of those three things, i.e. being a software engineer, being in healthcare, and being a business builder. Mm-hmm. And throughout my journey, both working at big companies like AWS and Bloomberg, but also small companies in New York City like Cedar or Enigma before taking the entrepreneurial route. I think each one of those have shaped one of those three buckets of being an engineer, being a healthcare enthusiast, and looking to build a business eventually. 
Awesome. And I think that the other two end up being a little self-explanatory of like builder and then interest in computer science. Like sometimes they go hand in hand. I wanted to understand, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, of like interest in healthcare. Like kind of like what sparked that? So what initially sparked that was, and it's a little cliche, but immigrant parents, especially from India, having their kids go in the healthcare or the doctorate is always something that you hear time and time again. And I think your family is, I think from Nigeria and very, very similar educational upbringing in terms of how your parents inspire you. Mm -hmm. And for the longest time, I thought that was going to be my thing. And I grew up in Baltimore and my first two summers in high school, I had the opportunity to do a bit of volunteering work at a local hospital, which was Johns Hopkins. Mm -hmm. And I quickly realized being in that clinical setting that there was something a little, not off, but something about the clinical setting that didn't really get me going at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, obviously, I was passionate about improving like patient outcomes and, and the whole nine, but something about going into a hospital setting and being a part of that, just as like a simple volunteer, didn't really get me out of the bed in the morning. But what I did realize during that experience back then was that there were so many different touch points where technology entered the clinical setting. And this was back in you know, 2010 when I was you know volunteering at the local hospital, and I realized that doctors were just adopting electronic health records. They were just adopting automated scribing technology. They were just adopting the latest techniques and running MRIs and x-rays and so on and so forth. And I saw how these different things that they were launching that summer when I was at the hospital impacted some of their productivity where I was like, wow, these doctors work 70, 80 hours a week for their entire careers. But at the end of the day, the number of patients that are able to impact is like quite limited, right? It's directly correlated to the amount of hours they spend working. Whereas technology, whoever built that medical record system or that x-ray technique, their scale and their impact is quite limitless. Yeah. And so I got really inspired by this ability to use technology to impact healthcare without being a provider itself. Yeah. And I think that's really where my ambitions around impacting healthcare really came from. Was those earliest experiences and motivation for my parents to trying to be a doctor. Yeah, I'm about to say, it's funny when I talk to people who are first generation of children, immigrants, like you said, I'm Nigerian, definitely considered the doctor route for a hot minute and realized that it was not for me. Shout out to those that are able to go down that route. But I think that it's very interesting in your scenario that you explored it, but going back to that interest in building and like solving issues, you kind of saw an issue that was there and a way to like scale impact and bake in more efficiency and said like, that's a path that I eventually want to get back to. Right. And first, I think that the job of a doctor is really, really important. There's roughly like 1.1 million doctors in the U.S. And if you look at some of the studies, there's trending to be a shortage of them compared to the number of Americans. So I think the job of the doctor is really, really important. I just found that for myself, it wasn't something that was the thing that would be it for me. Yeah. But then the second thing I would say, again, is I don't want to make it seem like I had these like light bulb moments in early high school. But I think each one of these touch points with different experiences that I've had, you start to like take in things and slowly but surely like piece them together and eventually get to something you want to do. So I think it was like those experiences that shaped me, but I don't know that I had that a light bulb moment per se that early. Yeah. And that's an important point to make. I mean, both of them, number one, yes, doctors are extremely important. And I think a lot of times their work and their contribution to society is frankly undervalued. But I think that your analysis there is true and when i talk to people all the time i say like the story is told in hindsight you kind of like thread it together and it makes sense afterwards you don't necessarily say hey this is step x step y is right here straight line get there it almost like zigzags but like when you look back at it you're like oh it makes sense that i decided to do this or this is what impacted or shaped this right i wanted to get more 
into your pivot. We were talking before, you've had quite a few different career pivots from a function standpoint, as someone who was individual contributor to CTO, and then also from CTO to CEO, going from corporate function to founder as well. From your standpoint, talk me through some of those pivots. How did you do it? Why did you do it? And things of that nature. Sure. So I studied computer science at the University of Maryland, and most kids at the time in a four-year CS program, whether at my college or elsewhere, I think it was always a goal for most to go into one of the big FANG companies, mm -hmm. like the Facebooks and the Amazons and the Netflixes and the Googles of the world. Mm -hmm. And it was just one of those things that everyone was striving for. Those were the hottest companies. Anytime you go to a career fair, those are the ones people would be sending a line at to submit a resume. And... Obviously, like, I was of the same mindset. Uh, and so I, I think I spent a number of my college summers and even the earlier part of my career after college working at big companies. I worked at Amazon Web Services and Bloomberg and a couple of big defense contractors. And I think I learned a few things during my journey there. One is getting that type of exposure at big companies was pretty invaluable for me. Seeing how companies at the scale of AWS operate and how much sophistication and what the methodology looks like to deploy something to scale of millions of users at once. That's really important to see and have exposure to. Um, but what I also realized eventually is that these big companies are wired to have different functions and teams and swim lanes own very, very specific tasks. And so if you're a software engineer on a Java-based API team working on this backend infrastructure, you're doing that same job 50, 60 hours a week. Right. It's fun. I had a great time, but I realized going back to my previous comment around wanting to build a business one day that at a big company, I wasn't really going to learn the skill sets needed to wear multiple hats that I knew would be ultimately really important in starting a company. And I started trying to figure out, all right, how do I make a pivot out of this box that I put myself in, which is like the big company brand engineer box that I'm in right now and move to a smaller company. And that's when I started recruiting for jobs at smaller companies that are a little bit more scrappy. And that's why when I met a gentleman by the name of Max Keller, Max at the time was head of recruiting at one of the hottest data science startups in New York City called Enigma. Mm -hmm. And Enigma was a really, really cool company that had just raised a Series C from NEA, roughly 100 people, really awesome New York City office. I went to go interview with them and I knew immediately that the culture was really amazing, but that everyone was wearing multiple hats, not only as software engineers, but as a software engineer, you were out in the field selling to customers, designing product, putting MVPs and prototypes together. And immediately I knew that, okay, if I wanted to get exposure to wearing multiple hats, like Enigma was the right place. Yeah. Uh, and so Max ultimately recruited me into Enigma where I ultimately worked for a couple of years and grew very quickly from an individual contributor engineer, as you mentioned, into tech leading the insurance team where we were building data science automations for many large insurance companies. And we'll touch on this in a bit, but what's really cool about that experience was Max, who was the head of recruiting at that company uh, that recruited me into Enigma, is now our head of recruiting at our current company, Adonis. And so we're really running the playbook back in terms of some of the best things that we learned in our previous experiences and bringing that back to Adonis to build a best in class, not only engineering team, but a go-to-market team that really has a tight camaraderie with the folks building the product. So we'll touch on that in a bit, but I brought up Max just because he's been a big part of my journey as a leader of companies and building really strong recruiting teams. Yeah. But ultimately at Enigma, I had a really great experience 
And I think the jump that I made from big companies into small companies, like that really came to life. It wasn't like a cliche or something that I just say to say. I think I truly learned a lot of things in the short two-year period that I was there. Even as a 22-year-old software engineer, being able to go out to the biggest insurers in the world or the biggest banks in the world and like pitch them and have them really listen to you because you're the data science thought expert in the room yeah. was a really eye-opening experience. Yeah. First of all, amazing. And I think that you're being modest here as someone who has been recruiting in the space for a while and have recruited in New York. A lot of the organizations that you just mentioned are highly technical organizations and you have to be a very, very solid engineer. So even when you're an IC, it sounds like you are a really great engineer to be able to get into those organizations and be able to find comfort. But one of the questions I wanted to ask you was like, obviously, when you're making a pivot, you have to deal with just embracing change and doing things that you're not necessarily good at. Uh, I'm sure that after a while, like you got comfortable in your job probably before some of these other organizations and just were able to kind of like climb through the ranks. But what motivated you to leave that area of comfort to make that pivot into other areas, even though you're like, hey, I could do this. I'm really good at it. I could really succeed here, but there's something else like I'm yearning for. I always grew up with this like mentality of just trying to be at least the best version of myself at whatever I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think some of that came from being involved in athletics growing up, like football and, and basketball. Kobe Bryant has this like phenomenon or even like some thought leadership around this idea of like Mamba mentality, which is yep. uh, how do you be the best version of yourself uh, no matter what you're doing? And for somebody like him who played multiple positions growing up in, in sports and, and having to like reset, he was always like a big inspiration for me. But the reason I bring that up is when you do make a pivot from working at a big company to a small company, yes, it's a massive culture shock. You were once the best at what you do, and now you're just starting at the bottom of the totem pole at whatever you're doing next in terms of experience and tenure and expertise. So it's one of those areas where you have to take ultimately a risk on yourself and a bet on yourself. Yep. And even we'll jump into kind of the story next around the process of like leaving a full-time job at Enigma to start our first company. Yep. You're ultimately taking a bet on yourself because you're taking something that you've built over the past few years and now starting from the bottom literally again. But going back to resetting, I would say something that has always been really important has been for me around decision making is opportunity cost yeah and opportunity cost equals opportunity loss in my opinion but in situations where for example when i was going from a big company to a small company my thought process was wow i have this amazing opportunity that i built for myself at aws now i'm going to the smaller company my psychology behind that was okay if this new company i'm going to if that absolutely is a horrible experience for whatever reason, that big company job is always going to be on the table mm -hmm. and I can always go back. Yeah. And I think that's very, very important for folks that are looking to make a little bit of a career pivot. If you're making a career pivot and it doesn't really work out, nine times out of 10, I feel like some version of that job that you're at right now will be available and you'll be able to go to a company of a similar caliber and go back as a contingency planning. Yeah. I don't necessarily always like contingency plan just because it's a lack of focus, but I think yeah. having that mindset to make the leap can go a really long way in terms of motivating you to make that move. Yeah, that's definitely really important to just keep in mind because we are taking a risk, but taking a calculated risk at that, if you have that mentality, then you're like, okay, well, if this doesn't work out, at least I can say I tried it and go back to something else. You made the pivot from a larger company to a smaller one. Let's talk about more so from going from Enigma to becoming founder. And then also from a function standpoint of going from being a team lead or like individual contributor to CTO and eventually CEO. 
Yeah. So the thought process behind leaving Enigma to start a company, it really started from like the type of work I was doing at Enigma, where, as I mentioned, we were coming into various Fortune 500 banks and financial institutions and insurance companies and helping them solve some of their deepest challenges with data and data science specifically. And for the insurance companies, what we were doing at Enigma was using data science for them to create better medical plans and dental plans and 401ks. So if you think about a company like Vanguard or United Healthcare, imagine Vanguard's creating a 401k plan and United Healthcare is creating a set of health plans for Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is a group of 150,000 Americans that have a bunch of blue collars that are working in factories, a bunch of white collar employees that are accountants and computer scientists and software engineers. Offering a proper 401k and a health plan to those employees is really hard because you can't offer a one size fits all plan. And so we built data science automation to help those big companies figure out what to offer. But what we realized after doing that with a number of big companies was that it's not really the vanguards and the United Healthcare's of the world that don't know how to offer the right plans. It's Americans like you and I that during open enrollment, we're not picking the right plan. And open enrollment, as you know, is a very, very consequential two-week-a-year period where Americans and their families select plans that are going to impact their well-being for the subsequent 50 weeks of the year. And that was ultimately when we realized, and when I say we, me and a fellow colleague of mine at Enigma left to start Naya, we realized that it's really a consumer problem at the end of the day. And we wanted to go and tackle that and flip what we learned working with these big institutions on their head to build a consumer first experience. And naturally as a software engineer, starting a company, taking the CTO role felt like it was right at home and being able to go zero to one on building a product and an MVP to start going to market, something that I spent my first year of company building on when we started Naya. It's an area of comfort. The thing I love about pivots is like, it's not a leap, it's a pivot for a reason, right? So there's some areas where you lean on strengths and you kind of use your strengths to your advantage and try to fill in the rest. But what was the biggest transition you think for you from being more of a tech lead to that CTO position? Like what what do you think were some of like the Honestly, the first year of being a CTO was actually not super different from being a tech lead at the company I was at. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why was the company I was at as a tech lead, I had also been building from the ground up in a very zero one capacity. Yeah. But the reason it wasn't different was because I was the only employee in that CTO role at Naya for maybe the first nine months. Uh, and so I was very much on my own. That was probably the big difference, which was I wasn't surrounded by 75 other really, really bright machine learning and software engineers that I can go like whiteboard with. I was kind of on my own to figure a lot of the things out. That's probably the biggest difference. But really the thing that was important in the first couple of months of like dropping out of a full-time job and starting a new company was the financial stress that comes with that. As a 23-year-old at the time who had been in the workforce for a few years but was living in a very expensive city, which is New York, I didn't really have a massive personal runway of cash to stay afloat. And so after starting and going full-time on I, I think the first biggest focus for us was, all right, how do we get a couple hundred K in the bank account to pay me and my co-founder at the time enough just to make ends meet? And so in addition to like building software, which is hard on its own, having that mental stress around going and getting capital to at least make ends meet was also really important at the same time. I think taking the CTO role, the job of the CTO didn't very much change from being a tech lead, but the job of the founder of a company that you're literally starting from scratch on, that was a really, really unique experience. Wow. You glossed over something really quickly. So you made that transition at 23. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Just mind blown there. That's uh, that's quite impressive. 
but I wanted to highlight something that you said as well, the financial stress of it, right? I think that when people are making these pivots, obviously we talked about having like a backup plan, contingency plan, but also preparing for it is an important thing as well, right? Of knowing like, yes, I want to make this change. I think it's correct. And I think it's right for my career trajectory, but knowing that some of the discomfort is not even necessarily from the function or from like the company itself, but from a personal standpoint of making sure that you have that runway and making sure that you have prepared yourself in that regard. So you become CTO of Naya, and then now you have made another pivot to become a co-founder, CEO. Talk to me about what the change has been from there and what some of the biggest learnings are. of Sure. So let me quickly gloss on the journey that we had at Naya, both as a co-founder and, and CTO there. Yeah. Um, I think over the course of three years for myself, from really 2019 to 2022, in the course of three years, we built a software that dominated the category that we're in, which is employee benefits. We built the first software that used advanced techniques and data science to drive a personalized open enrollment experience. And again, that was a very, very difficult challenge as CTO. And I took a single person team on the engineering side, just myself, and grew that to 45 or so in three years. And very, very challenging around learning how to build a team and hire the right leaders, but also the right individual contributors. And as I was doing that, I was always thinking back to, okay, what did individual contributor Akash want when he was working at other companies? Like, how do you create a best in class environment for other engineers that are looking to maybe create companies of their own one day? Mm -hmm. um, and so... Building a team was something that I learned along the journey, but then also once you build a really, really strong product, the demand doesn't just come overnight. Creating a go-to-market approach that allows you to distribute your product is really important. And so I think in the second half of my journey at Naya, I started to really play a bigger role on the sales side and putting together some of like the biggest partnerships in the company's history at the time. And as I began learning about this intersection between go-to-market and engineering, I started learning about how the sales process works and how you go to market effectively. And then when you close deals, how do you move a new deal over to customer success and make sure the product's deployed properly and overall like build this machine from start to finish, starting with marketing and ending with engineering. That is a well-oiled machine. And as I started noticing these patterns of ways that I think those should be done at scale, I realized that, okay, maybe taking another pivot from being a CTO to starting something from scratch again, from the ground up, but this time as CEO would allow me to set myself up for this next set of challenge. Yep. And this is right around the time, Hatu, where I was in a New York City basketball league. Okay. And I happened to fracture my shoulder in multiple areas in a playoff game. And it was during that time when I went to a number of orthopedists throughout New York City and ultimately got some work done by an orthopedic surgeon not too far from where I'm here right now in downtown Manhattan. And he exposed me as a founder of his practice. He exposed me to a lot of the challenges that he has when it comes to running his own business around the way that he gets paid for all the work that he does. And so the way that doctors get paid, as most of the audience might know, is primarily from insurance companies. But that process of doctors actually getting paid by insurers is very manual, very bespoke, and also very, very expensive. It costs doctors one out of every $7 they earn. It costs them $1 of that $7 on the process of medical billing, which is like pretty eye-opening to me. And it was clearly keeping him up at night around how he properly runs his practice. And I saw firsthand going through my procedure that getting a prior off was very, very painful. 
And after I went through physical therapy, getting the proper visits reimbursed by the insurance companies I was in at the time was very, very difficult. And this was around the time where me and my co-founder now, who's my brother, we realized that, okay, there's actually a way to potentially augment and impact this massive, massive industry known as medical billing or revenue cycle management for hospitals and practices. There might be a way to improve that. And that's when we ultimately decided to you know, end our journey at Naya and exit out of that company and start Adonis. Adonis was really started off on this idea that we built software to help medical practices run their payments and billing in a much more effective way. I think that there are a couple skill sets that you have here that I think have probably enabled you to make pivots. And I want to make sure that we highlight that. So number one, interest and ability to like wear multiple hats. I think that's something that I'm starting to see like throughout your different experiences is something that you have done and actually have tried to go more and more towards like in each step of the way you, and you continuously are looking to wear multiple hats. Right. And then the other aspect is like, obviously to be able to do that in any environment that you're in, it seems that you're taking it all in, right? Whether it's like, for instance, you're playing in a basketball game, you fracture your shoulder and then you're talking to different doctors about trying to get physical therapy. Like a lot of people will just kind of go through that experience and let that just be that. But the fact that you're thinking through, all right, how's this person getting paid? Like, tell me more about like the experience that you're having, some of the problems similar to what you did when you were volunteering, understanding more about some of the problems that arise and saying like, hey, I think that there's a solution based on some of the previous experience that I have. Going into different environments, understanding more about some of the problems that exist and taking that in and trying to use that building and computer science mindset to come up with the solution. I think those are skill sets that you're obviously displaying. Yeah, I definitely enjoy connecting the dots and taking things in from a different lens and a different perspective. So I think your observation is somewhat accurate and it's always been part of the greatest side to me. You asked me earlier what my three PowerPoints were and dynamic is one of them, which you highlighted. And then I think sometimes coming to things with a little bit of a creative mindset can go a long way. Well, talk to me more about like some of the resources that you use. Obviously, network was one of them and continues to be one of them. And your training as computer scientists, and especially at the University of Maryland, very strong computer science program, go Terps. But talk to me about some of the resources that you continuously use to make these pivots. Obviously, it's been through different size of company, industry, I think the industry has started to go more into a certain direction as you've advanced in your career, but the function standpoint as well, what are some resources that you have taken advantage of to make these jumps successful? I think the biggest resource for me has always been close like advisors and mentors of mine that I can call literally any time of the day, any day of the week and get advice from in different situations. I don't think there's anyone that I've met that is quite like me from like the things that I've done perspective, mm -hmm. uh, but there's always somebody that I can look up to in terms of an advisor or a mentor in, in different areas. And so that's really gone a very long way for me. And, you know, I like to pay back as well for other folks that are maybe in a seat I was in a couple of years ago with a similar ambition. But I think having a close set of advisors that I can count on has always taken me a very long way. And many of those advisors have turned into you know investors in our company, for example, as angels in the earliest days of starting Adonis. But I also learned a lot from observing and seeing 
other people do things and learn from like some of their mistakes. So I, I feel like I read a lot, watch a lot of podcasts. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite things to do is watch founder interviews of founders that I really look up to and have approached problems in different ways. Yeah. But there are a lot of like, I think other resources that have helped other founders in big cities like New York and San Francisco and DC, there's communities and VC events and accelerators uh, that you can join. And in fact, our first company, Naya, we actually went through an accelerator in New York City. Okay. And I think that was a pretty eye-opening experience for many of the fellow portcos that were in that. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the stuff for me and my co-founder at the time was things that we had like seen in some version our days at Enigma. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's a mix of all those things. But ultimately, I think the thing that I really attribute much of my success to is mentors and advisors, being inspired by others. And now I seek to inspire others as well, putting your best foot forward. Got it. Okay. What are some of the podcasts or publications that you generally keep up with? I know that I have my podcast diet myself, but what are some things that you keep up with or how do you stay abreast of like news of like industry and then just overall? There's like so many of them and I don't know that there's like a specific one that like I frequent a lot, but I'm actually, as you asked that question, I'm pulling up my podcast section and on the fly, we love it. Yeah. I think how I built this is a podcast hosted by a gentleman by the name of Guy Raz. It's an NPR podcast. I think I've been listening to almost every single episode since yeah. freshman year of college. There's two podcasts run by VC funds. One of them is there's a podcast by Kleiner Perkins called Grit. Okay. There's some really cool go-to-market oriented leaders that join that podcast. Mm -hmm. As I made the leap from CTO to CEO, I realized that sales and building a machine around Go to market was something that I lacked it. And so there's this YouTube. It's a bigger group, but I mostly ingest via YouTube. It's called Saster, S A A S T R. Okay. It's a VC fund, but also a group of like CROs run by a gentleman called Jason Lemkin. And he brings on really strong founders that have had a lot of go to market success, like the Parker Conrads of the world for Rippling to walk through stories. And then more recently, probably over the last year, my Saturday ritual is listening to the All In podcast, mm -hmm. um, usually at the gym. It's a podcast hosted by four gentlemen that are close friends, but have been very, very successful company builders. Yeah. So those are probably the three or four things I tried to like listen to. Awesome. Yeah. No, those are all very solid podcasts. Definitely have heard quite a few of them myself. I don't keep up as much, but yeah, those are really helpful for sure. And obviously we've covered a lot, a little bit about Adonis and kind of like what you guys do, but wanted to understand a little bit more from you about how you guys are positioned in the space, how you guys are uniquely positioned, what are some of the competitive advantages that you believe that you guys have? And then obviously AI is something that people have a deep interest and focus in right now. I want to know about being AI powered, like why this is a big component for Yeah. The problem that we're looking to solve at Adonis is making sure that we can help doctors and medical practices and hospitals improve the way that they get paid. Mm -hmm. And that has always been a very manually run function within practices. And they're typically these deep medical billing teams that have many billers and coders on them that after a particular visit from a patient, these medical billing teams are manually drafting up claims and putting information on those claims that, hey, a two came in on July 7th for a dermatology visit. He's part of Aetna. This is his member ID and group ID. These are the six codes of diagnoses and six codes of procedures. With these modifiers, this is how much I, the doctor, want to bill you, Mr. Aetna, for this visit. This is the proof of medical documentation as to why these procedures were required. Everything I just described there is a very manual process where there's a human creating that paper-based claim, and then they're sending it over to the insurance company. And that 
embarks on this game of cat and mouse that happens between the doctor and the insurer where the doctor wants to get paid for services they perform rightfully so and the insurers want to make money and they want to deny claims at scale one of the things that we do is we automate a lot of that process and make sure that we can mitigate the human error that comes with submitting claims but we also use pattern recognition and machine learning to effectively reverse engineer the rules of the insurers okay. and so as we submit tens of thousands of claims for dermatologists throughout the country and orthopedists throughout the country and primary care doctors and OBGYNs and eye doctors. And we're submitting them to these insurers. We're learning the rules of these insurers pretty quickly and making sure we don't make the same mistake over and over again. And so we ultimately mitigate rejections and denials and help doctors leak less money. And so to give you a sense of some of the economics behind this, if you're a practice leader and you do roughly $20 million in yearly revenue, which isn't unheard of, it's probably like a 15 doctor clinic, you're doing 20 million in yearly revenue uh, and you have an internal team of medical billers, that internal team of medical billers is probably costing you roughly five or 6% of your top line. You're paying $1 million a year in wage to your internal medical billing team to submit $20 million of claims. And that's probably the second most surprising thing. The first most surprising thing is it's pretty status quo for practices to have an upper 80% net collection rate, which means that they're losing out on over 10% of their revenue. And so we have a very, very strong product and software solution that augments what the teams are already doing and basically helping practices see more of the money they deserve at a cheaper cost. And the reason this is so important right now, too, is that as a macroeconomic climate has shifted, many businesses are spending less time focusing on top line growth and more time buttoning up the internal operations of their companies. Yeah. And Adonis is a big part of that for medical practices just taking all this in, like this is definitely helpful. I wanted to ask you just from a personal standpoint, if you look at your pivots with the S multiple, if you think pre-pivot and post-pivot, if you could look back and give yourself advice pre-pivot, you can pick general advice that you give yourself for multiple pivots, or you can pick a specific one. What is some advice that you'd give yourself? And then post-pivot, after some of the pivots that you made or some advice that you give yourself now, what is some advice that you I think the advice that I continue to give myself is that anytime I'm in a situation where I can bet on myself, I will do that 10 out of 10 times. And ultimately any like pivot that you make, you have to think about like what the worst case is. And I talked to you about when I was thinking about going from a big company to a small company, I knew that, okay, maybe I couldn't go back to Amazon specifically, but yes, I could probably go back to any other big company if shit hit the fan uh, figuratively. And so I always think about what the worst case is just to make it easier to make a decision because I realize that the worst case is often not that bad. Mm -hmm. But I also realize that if you put yourself in a situation where you're putting your back up against the wall and the only way you can go is forward, then you're going to have to go forward. And so I gave you the example of leaving our full-time jobs to start our first company, not making any money, having to use personal cash to support ourselves for three or four months. Like in that situation, your back is up against the wall. And Darwinism holds true, right? You're going to figure out a way to make it work. And so, yeah, we found funding. We found our first couple of customers. We stopped having to rely on personal runway that was going to run out. Uh, and so personally, I've always been the type of person that you have to put yourself in an environment where you have to find an answer. And that's where like pivots come into place, right? Like oftentimes, whatever your first version of your idea might look like, maybe X, but then as you take that into market or you try testing it, you realize that, okay, maybe I'm learning things along the way and I'm getting feedback along the way. And not being emotionally attached to any one idea is really important as well, because when you're not emotionally attached, then you can objectively look at the data that you're getting input and output. Sure, you can pivot in the right direction. And then, you know, we've talked about so many 
great things. And obviously you're in the middle of a very exciting journey right now, but for you, what's exciting you? Like what's next when Akash thinks about the future? What are some of the things that you're doing? Yeah. So we announced our series A at Adonis um, about a little over two months ago. We raised our series A, you know, after month eight or nine of company building and finding product market fit very, very quickly in our space. And we were lucky enough to bring General Catalyst on board. During our Series A, we raised a $17.3 million round and we're now continuing to expand our team in New York City, both the sales and marketing side, but also on the builder side within product and engineering. And so what's next for us is, you know, scaling in the most thoughtful and responsible way. And the reason I say thoughtful and responsible, Hatu, is we're no longer in the bull run that we were previously in for seven or eight years. I think many people my age, I graduated college anywhere between 2013 to 2018. We've only ever lived our lives in a bull run, our professional lives. Yeah. And so now we're building company number two in a little bit of a different climate from an economic standpoint. It's really important to fine tune how you spend money and how you hire. So, you know, we we're fortunate to raise a little bit of capital to help us continue to grow. And I have been very, very excited about finding that right sustainable level of growth between hiring, but also bring in the right types of customers into our ecosystem. And so I've been very excited about taking the products that we've built and bringing that to more people in the market. Yep. And I can tell, obviously, go to market is something that's very front of mind for you. It's come up several times here, but also, like you said, tighten the belt, right? Which you're starting to see across different organizations. So thinking about it from the onset, I think makes a huge difference. It's been top of mind for me for the last like year or so. Hutu has been engineering comes very naturally to me. And yeah. so does product development. And at this point, we've been lucky enough to hire a good leadership team within product and engineering at Donis. And I feel like between me and my brother, Aman, who comes from a product background, we know what that playbook looks like and how you go through the different stages of company building from a product standpoint. Uh, on the other side of the house, it's something that we're doing some things for the first time. And so you ask me like, how do I make pivots and, and learn things? And it's just not taking no for an answer and just staying constantly focused on the goal at hand. So that's why I brought it up a few times, but you know, engineering and data science is equally important to the company's footprint. Oh, 100%. It makes a lot of sense for sure. Well, there you have it, y'all. There you have it. Akars, thank you so much for this. This has been amazing. Hatu, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, looking forward to staying in touch. Absolutely, absolutely. And thank you all for tuning in. Please remember to like and subscribe for more. Most important, pivot powerfully. Be well, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>